Aloha. You are listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. I've written a new book. It's called Dangerous Love, Transforming Fear and Conflict at Home, at Work, and in the World. It includes all the lessons I've learned over the years as a conflict mediator, a conflict professor, and an NBA draft analyst working with some of the top minds in the NBA. For the next few days, I will be donating all of my profits to my new book, Dangerous Love, if you pre-order the book at DangerousLoveBook.com. Peace Players is a nonprofit that brings together young people in divided communities through the game of basketball. They have programs in Baltimore, Brooklyn, Chicago, Detroit, Los Angeles, the Middle East, Northern Ireland, South Africa, and Cyprus. They're an amazing organization. So go to DangerousLoveBook.com and pre-order the book, Dangerous Love, and help an important world-changing cause. Today's show is brought to you by Built Bar. Built Bar is a protein bar that tastes like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. I'm your host, Chad Ford. My guest today is the athletic senior writer and host of the Hollinger and Duncan podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, John Hollinger. Welcome back. Aloha, Chad. All right, another redraft, this time 2015. If you don't know the drill by now, John and I are going to redraft the lottery at the 2015 draft. We're going to do it in the form of a mock draft, and we're going to be selecting based off of a player's totality of their career, not just where they should have been on draft night, but in hindsight, where we think now they should have gone based off of their career we're diving into 2015, and I got to say that maybe this draft didn't quite have the same amount of buzz. There was a clear number one guy in this draft in Carl Anthony Towns. There was a lot of debate after that about who was going to be next. Actually, the consensus guy coming out of high school was Jalil Okafor yep. as the dominant prospect who, if he had been born 10 to 15 years earlier— Probably would have been fine, but the NBA was going to change so dramatically during this time that it was going to move right past him. So let's dive into the 2015 NBA draft. You were with the Grizzlies on this one, right? Yes, I was. You feeling good about your draft picks? Yeah, not great. Yeah. <laughs> Wasn't yeah. your favorite we had year? 20, we had 25 uh, entering the draft was the only pick we had. We took Jarrell Martin out of uh, LSU, which was unfortunate because the way the draft broke, a couple of guys we liked, we really liked went right before us. Um, but we could have gotten more value than that pick. And then we trade, we made a trade on draft night. Uh, we traded John Lord of Phoenix for the 44th pick and selected Andrew Harrison, who for a pick in the 40s actually did okay for us. I mean, he played three seasons for us, was an important player for us in a playoff series. Um, so that one worked out uh, maybe okay for a second. The Harrison pick. Twins. That's an interest. We should talk about the Harrison Twins at some point yeah, sure, in this sure. podcast as well. Because uh, before they began playing college basketball, considered top five picks yeah, uh, yeah. in the draft. Yeah. Okay. Well, here's how it went on draft night in 2015. The Minnesota Timberwolves had the number one pick. They took Carl Anthony Towns out of Kentucky. Good job. The Lakers had the number two pick in the draft. They fell in love with D'Angelo Russell mm -hmm. out of Ohio State. The Philadelphia 76ers, in the midst of tanking and the rebuild, take Jalil Okafor out of Duke, their third center drafted in a row. At four, the Knicks select Kristaps Porzingis. Best move of the Phil Jackson era. Out of Latvia, love, loved, loved, loved Porzingis in this draft. The Orlando Magic are fifth on the board. They take Mario Hazonia out of Croatia. Athletic, super energetic player. Didn't pan out at all. Nope. Sacramento Kings at six. Will this be the year, John? This I don't think this is the year. It's not the year. No. Willie Cully Stein out of Kentucky. Number seven, Denver Nuggets, Emmanuel Moutier. Yeah. Very highly regarded prep player. 
We'll talk more about him, I'm sure. Eighth pick, the Detroit Pistons, Stanley Johnson out of Arizona. Another very, very highly ranked prep player. Number nine, Charlotte, Frank Kaminsky out of Wisconsin. And turned down a gold mine from Boston to take him. That is right. Let's make sure we talk about that. Let's note that and talk about that. Number 10, Miami, Justice Winslow Mm -hmm. out of Duke. I believe he was the target. (laughs) <laughs> yes. right for the for yeah. boston yes yeah winslow was the target mm-hmm. number 11 indiana very nice pick here at 11 miles turner yeah mm-hmm. out of texas number 12 the utah jazz trey lyles that one kentucky that one ended up working out okay oh it sure did not not for the reasons that you think but it sure did 13 phoenix suns devin booker out of kentucky I like I like this better than the Dragon Bender pick. By the way, this is the fourth Kentucky player taken in the lottery in this draft. And then 14 Oklahoma City Cameron Payne yeah. out of Murray State, a rare misstep mm-hmm. for Sam Presti. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's how it went on draft night. We are going to now dive into reselecting this draft. I get the number one pick in this draft. I'm very excited to continue to reselect. And this has actually been pretty rare for us that we keep the number one pick yeah. at number one. Yeah, this, yeah, you're Says right. Says something about all these teams that are very excited to get the number one pick, <laughs> that the number one pick doesn't usually end up being the best player in the draft. But in this case, he clearly is, and I'm not sure anybody's catching him, Carl Anthony Towns out of yeah. Kentucky. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it's and it's really interesting because Carl Anthony Towns showed up as a junior at the Nike Hoop Summit. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. And he was playing because he he had dual citizenship. So where was he playing? Domin- he was playing in Dominican Republic, right? And then and John Calipari somehow became the head coach of the Dominican Republic national team. Yeah. And the, the take on Carl Anthony Towns at that first hoop summit was kind of a, you know, big kid, goofy kid, liked to hang out on the perimeter, liked to, you know, shoot threes, was very skilled, but soft. I think that was the take on Carl Anthony Towns. Yeah. Like a, a, a kid that was going to be really soft. And, and here's an example of why I really like John Calipari as a college coach. And I, I've said this several times. If I had a blue chip type son basketball prospect, I would send him to Kentucky and, and have him play with, with John Calipari. John Calipari does the unthinkable, the Carl Anthony Towns. He tells him, quit shooting threes, quit playing on the perimeter, go learn how to play in the paint, become tough, and it's going to help your draft stock. Mm-hmm. And there was all sorts of stuff throughout the season. They're playing in the wrong way. Lots of criticism. Carl Anthony Towns is only playing 20 minutes a game, averages 10 points a game, 6.7 rebounds a game. Not typically the numbers that you talk about when you have the number one pick. But here was the deal. Everybody, all the scouts knew he could do all that other stuff. They already knew that about his game. Calipari helped him answer the biggest question marks that he was going to have about defense, about rebounding, about toughness. Those were the question marks that scouts had coming into the season. Calipari made him work on his game, forced him to play that way. His parents supported him. That was one thing. The parents were like, yep, teach him, make him become that type of player. And I think this was really the case where a coach showing a little bit of tough love to a blue chip prospect helped make him into the number one pick in the draft. Yeah, it certainly cemented his status because by by the time that draft happened, you're right, there was no question who, was, who the number one player was. And, I mean, he's shown the skill part, right? 39.6% career from three. Actually, by far the best percentage of any player in this draft. And uh, But he's combined that with the interior play, the rebounding. He's such a load on the offensive glass now. Uh, you know, still... They, you still hear some of the softness stuff about him, but it's in a different light. I think it's it's 
at the standard of for an all-star player, I wish he was a little meaner as opposed to he's too soft to be in the NBA or anything like that. Cause he's a great, great young man. And just, uh, I got to spend some time with him before the draft had a really great conversation with him. Then we actually met up in LAX airport later and continued that conversation. Just really enjoyed him as a person. Unfortunately, Carl Anthony Towns mother passed away from COVID-19 in this crisis, which was a very, very, very sad thing. But he's been an awesome NBA player in five seasons for the Wolves. The only sad thing is that the Wolves just have not been able to build a team around him to really compete. And there was a time that we thought with Wiggins and that that this was going to happen, that Minnesota was really going to be one of those young up-and-coming teams. And and really, they're kind of in the mode of starting all over again. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really unfortunate, and he's he's the centerpiece of it. Uh, and it's it's you know along with another guy from this draft and in uh, in Russell, and it's really interesting to see which way it's going to go. Uh, you know, if he's going to be able to be a winner there, or if he's going to have to go someplace else. Okay, I think he's the clear number one pick. I don't think anybody's going to fight us on this one at all. Lakers are on the board at number two. They fell in love with D'Angelo Russell. They were considering Okafor. They were considering Pazingas. There was actually a big, there was a big movement actually for Okafor in their camp at the time. And then people saying, no, we need this dynamic guard. We need a guy like Russell. Russell had such a electric personality in some ways. He was charismatic. Uh, Magic Johnson really liked D'Angelo Russell. I mean, it was really interesting, this conversation, because when the Lakers get this high, the Lakers aren't going for solid. The Lakers are swinging for the fences every time. Mm-hmm. They really hoped D'Angelo Russell was going to be that guy for him. Is that who you're going to select at number two? Uh, no. As much as I love left-handed point guards from Ohio State, I'm not going to take Russell. Uh, I'm going to take Chris Stapp's Porzingis, who even with the injuries, I think has by far the highest uh, level of anyone left on the board in terms of being an all-star caliber big who can impact winning with his shooting, with his shot blocking. He's in a really great fit now in Dallas where he's the second best player on a good team, which I think is the ultimate role for him where he, you know, can, can impact things defensively, open the floor offensively, but he's not the guy who you're trying to go through 50 possessions a game. I, I think that's tremendous for him and tremendous pick, uh, you know, for for the Knicks, actually, which we don't say often, uh, especially in the first round. Uh, Except they kind of blow it with him. Yeah, exactly. Because they let him, you know, he was so unhappy with the whole dynamic of the organization that he basically forced his way out of there and has left the, the Knicks starting over again. Really interesting. This was a player I was very excited about. He comes to the U.S. and does a workout in Las Vegas. Were you there at that Workout, John? Uh, yes. Joe Abunazar's place? Yes, exactly. Yep, yep. But, I, you know, I, I was familiar with him already, though. Uh, like, we had scouted him overseas. We actually – we weren't the only ones. Like, teams were trying to get him to come out the year before and, you know, and promise him. Right. So Right, in the lottery. It, he would have been a lottery pick the year oh, before. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So, he was a known quantity. Um, but I think for the Knicks, like, Phil, I think, had maybe just taken the job or hadn't seen him yet. So I think it was important for that from that perspective. He had a great workout, by the way, in Vegas. Showed his shooting ability, showed his mobility. Dallas was a team. It's great that he ended up in Dallas because Dallas was a team that was trying to promise him the year before that was very, very high on him. They obviously have a great international scouting Mm -hmm. uh, regime there. And now he lands on a team that really values him. What happened with the Knicks? Why did this fall apart? You know, it's hard to say exactly where it went wrong or if it was if it was one event or just the whole totality of the experience that that really pushed him away. And I, I you know, I still don't I still don't really know kind of some of the details there. It it just seemed like it started going sideways and just never got back on track and just the Knicks being the Knicks, just things just got progressively worse. There's a bit of a, he said, she said here coming from the Knicks 
perspective of what happened and Porzingis's perspective of what happened. But again, this speaks to me about organizational culture. You're in the biggest market or the second biggest market in the NBA. You don't leave the Knicks or want to leave the Knicks unless something has been really screwed up. Your agent's not put, it's not like you're in Memphis and your agent's like, you know, we can get all these endorsement deals and you're going to become such a bigger player if you go to New York or a bigger market or whatever. He's at the Knicks. And I think that this is one of those moments, even if it is him that's pushing for the trade and it's totally on Porzingis, that you have to look at yourself as a franchise and say, how are we losing a guy like this? And certainly what they got in return was was pretty bad. Yeah, and entering restricted free agency. I mean, it wasn't even like they had had him for two contracts and he was about to hit his walk year as an unrestricted free agent, right? He was heading into restricted free agency and they and they still lost him as the New York Knicks. Like that that should never ever happen in 100 million years. Okay, just more good news for Knicks fans <laughs> who have not been loving our redrafts. Uh, Kevin Knox redraft, the Russell Westbrook stuff. Haven't been loving that just a little bit more to pile on. Okay, it's the third pick in the draft. The Philadelphia 76ers are on the board. And for all of the talk about the Sixers and the process and the tanking, is this the moment where we can acknowledge that the Sixers weren't very good at drafting? This, I think, was the turning point for the uh, for the process because this this pick was what set the wheels in motion for every everything that happened with Colangelo coming in and 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 Hinky being replaced and all and all that because the Oak, things went so sideways with the Okafor pick uh, they do, they drafted another traditional big um, which is odd like for all their revolutionary thinking that they they were doing then that they would that they would make this pick. And then his off-the-court stuff quickly became a huge issue. In retrospect, they obviously should have taken Porzingis. Uh, so, yeah, this is where it kind of went sideways for him. Because you can, you can argue, okay, they got Embiid, which turned out to be a great pick, but also kind of fell to them in a, in a certain way. They got Ben Simmons, but they had the number one pick in the draft, mm-hmm. and he was the consensus number one guy in the draft at the time. But – after that, when you look at some of the draft picks, I mean, when you, if this is your strategy, if you're going all in in the draft, you've got to get these right. Mm-hmm. And Okafor was such a head scratcher to me on draft night for so many reasons. His stock was was plummeting. That you want to talk about Intel and some concerns about Intel with Okafor, they were there. And uh, you know, one story that 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 I can tell is that. He had a longtime guy that had been his trainer and really taught him his big man skills. And, let, and let's give Okafor credit. He was a very skilled, old school big man mm-hmm. with soft hands, great footwork around the basket. You know, he, he was he was skilled, yeah. but he wouldn't let anybody else work with him to prepare him for the draft. And so he had a trainer that was working with him. That wasn't doing anything. I mean, just even the drills and things that I was watching him go th- go through weren't anything like what you're seeing other trainers doing, preparing players for the NBA draft. And you start to worry about who's in his ear and what sort of information he's getting, what sort of work he was going to put in, and whether he was going to be able to adapt his game at all to the NBA. And there was already questions physically about whether he was going to be able to adapt his game. But even when you're not working on it that way, it was a pretty big red flag of of guys that I went out and visited pre-draft and spent some time with. By the time I was done with Okafor, he was I was I was pretty down mm-hmm. uh, on him as a prospect. And Porzingis is sitting right there for uh, Philadelphia at the time, and and I thought would have actually been a good fit in Philadelphia as well. So who do I take at three? Also, I'm going to just say Devin Booker is pissed at you right now. De- Devin Booker's got a bit of a chip on his shoulder. We can talk about that again. And it's it's really interesting. I mean, if you're looking at players in this draft, his career average right now, 22 points yeah. a game, right? Uh, he's averaging almost five assists a game. He's had big, big years for Phoenix. I was not that big a, that high on Booker 
uh, in the draft, and uh, certainly not number two, number three, number five pick on him. And he actually confronted me about this at the NBA Combine. Okay. He <laughs> and you know at Kentucky, here was another case. This was a very very stacked Kentucky team, and so no one necessarily on the Kentucky team was necessarily having like you know the biggest season ever. He averaged ten points a game at yep. Kentucky that season. He did shoot forty one percent from three, and we knew that he was going to be an excellent shooter in the NBA. But I think there was questions about his athleticism. I think there was questions about his position a little bit in the league. I mean, there's just a number of things going that where he win the draft, I don't think was any surprise that he slipped to 13, but he's draft. He's dramatically, in my opinion, exceeded what we thought or what I thought he would be coming into the draft. And one of the things that I like about him is he does play with a bit of chip on his shoulder. He's one of those players that felt insulted that he went this low in the draft and has worked his butt off to prove that he's much better than teams thought he was. Yeah. What do you, what's your take on him? Because I know the analytics don't aren't as favorable to Devin Booker. Well, he, as just the basic boss. Yeah. Box, I mean, he, he needs to stats. feel more insulted when his man scores, certainly. But that said, I mean, he's, I, I do think he's the number three guy in this draft. Uh, I did advocate for him to be on the all-star team this year. I think he did make some steps defensively and then offensively too. He's really refined his game. The thing that's shocking to me um, was how much more he showed he could do almost immediately when he got to Phoenix that you never saw him do at Kentucky in terms of running pick and rolls and making reads, shooting pull-ups, hitting guys. Um, had, had a little more speed on the ball than I think people realized. And, uh, you know, he was a young freshman on that team, too. And, uh, you know, we talk about age sometimes. I think he kind of blossomed uh, between between then and his, his rookie year in Phoenix and just kept that trajectory going. Uh, it's just shocking to look back and see Trey Lyles got taken with the pick ahead of him when they were both perimeter players on the same team, uh, kind of in, this, in a somewhat similar role. People, I think people thought the system was holding back Trey Lyles when actually it was holding back Devin Booker, right? It, it may have been holding back everybody a little bit, but that's not Calipari's fault. That's the point that he had a very, very stacked Kentucky team that, as we pointed out at the beginning, had four mm-hmm. lottery picks uh, on this team. But it is interesting as you go to the advanced stats, as far as, you know, uh, box uh, plus minus He's 13th, 14th in this draft. Yeah. And some, some of his career, win, if you go to win shares, yeah. it's yeah. he's ninth. Yeah. And again, some of that was because his first couple of years, he was putting up numbers without really impacting winning, you know, on these team Phoenix teams that were going nowhere. And uh, so there, there were some empty calories there his first couple of years, but I think he's still in his early twenties. His game has gone to another level in this, in this past year. So I think he's clearly the number three guy now. Okay. No controversy there at number three, then that's who the Sixers should have taken and would have been a really nice pick by the way, for the 76ers. Now at four for the Knicks, who do you got? This is an interesting one. Um, You know, I tend to value perimeter more than I value bigs and You know, there's there's some good bigs I could pick from here, but I just think having a guy who can create on the ball is more valuable than that. Uh, so despite his uh, the rocky start he got off to in L.A. and some of the questions about his defense, uh, I'm going to go D'Angelo Russell here. Just a guy who can shoot, create on the ball, good passer. Uh, you know, obviously made the all-star team as a 22-year-old. I don't know if you'd really call him like an all-star player, uh, but – a good player who I think is going to be able to continue to be a good player for a number of years. And at, at this point, I mean, there's still a lot of good players left, but there aren't like 20 point scorers litter, littering the board right here. So if Russell hadn't been drafted to hadn't gone to the Lakers, hadn't had the hype, hadn't run into the locker room stuff with his teammates that caused 
at least some of his Lakers teammates to not want him on the team anymore. Yeah. We would probably be evaluating this game a mm-hmm. little bit differently. Yeah. And you know, you're right at Golden State this year had a really good season. Brooklyn the year before, really good season. Looked good in limited 12 games from Minnesota. Do you like this fit? I offensively I love the fit. I think they're a great pick and pop partnership. Uh, they have to compete more at the defensive end to make it work. And the T-Wolves have to put the right players around them to make it work. So the the question is, will they give you enough offensively to make up for their not being great defensively? Okay. The Magic are at five. They take Mario Hazonia. There's a lot of buzz about him. Yeah. Coming out of Europe, aggressive, tough, super athletic, can shoot the ball. Not a lot of evidence. The Joe can Alexander play, of Europe. Right. And and this is one of those things where if international players are gonna get you, it's they're on a good team, but they don't play a lot of minutes. But there's all the talk about them competing in practice and and then they have a few bust out games where they look really good. You fall in love with all the tools and the athletic ability, but don't really have a great feel for what they're gonna be on the court, and that's been Hazonia throughout his career. Just never put it together. And it's funny because even like you would talk to players in Spain and, and they would say these really positive things about him that he, Oh, he's an NBA athlete. He's not like anyone in Europe and and whatnot, but he just, in the games, he just couldn't do it. Okay. I'm not going to select him there. I've been back and forth Mm -hmm. between two guys. Yep. Miles Turner. Yeah. Montrezl Harrell. I think I'm going to go with Harold. They actually have very, mm-hmm. very similar numbers just across the board when you, when you look at them, both averaging 12.7 points a game, Turner a better rebounder. You look at the field goal percentage, this is where Harold really shines, 61% field goal percentage here. I just love the energy, the way that he affects the game every time that he's on the floor and that's where you start to see some of his numbers pop a little bit, a little bit more right in the, in the box score plus minus what have you, when Harold's on the floor, a guy that I really liked in Louisville, you know, the questions about whether he was undersized questions about, you know, whether he had any sort of perimeter game or offensive game at all, but the motor, the athleticism, the toughness, I, I think he's been fantastic. I, uh, I can't argue. It's really close between Harrell and Turner. You can argue that Turner's two years younger, so he might have more runway ahead of him uh, than Harrell does. But Harrell, these last three seasons in L.A., I mean, he's been really good and still seems to be on an upward trajectory there where his numbers uh, keep getting a little better each year. Uh it's funny because he's not really a floor spacer and not really a rim protector, so you think he wouldn't fit in today's game. But he's so good out of rolling to the basket uh, and can make decisions on a short roll too, which I think is key. So he's not it's not just a catch-and-dunk thing. Uh, tremendous chemistry with Lou Williams on the pick-and-roll, which isn't easy because you know Lou, Lou's going to dribble and shoot most of the time, but you gotta be got to be ready, and he is, and uh, just never takes a play off. All right. Harold to the Magic at number five. We'll be back with picks six through 10 on the next segment with John Hollinger. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. I want to talk to you about our new sponsor, Built Bars. I'm a runner and I've been constantly looking for a great tasting, low sugar, high protein energy bar really for the last decade. I've tried every brand, but usually get turned off by the high sugar content or chalky, bad taste they leave in my mouth. Then I found Built Bars, and I'm crazy about them. They taste better than any energy bar I've ever tried. They're soft, they're chewy, they have 16 amazing flavors, and they are loaded with protein and only contain a few grams of sugar and net carbs. They are the equivalent of a healthy candy bar. For someone who tries to stay away from both sugar and carbs, they're incredible. My go-to bar after a run is coconut almond. It tastes like an almond joy 
without all the sugar and carbs, and with an incredible 18 grams of protein. I'm also crazy about the mint brownie, the orange chocolate cream, and the salted caramel chocolate. I'd probably be crazy about the peanut butter flavors, but my wife and daughter snatch them up every time I get a box before I can get a bite. The cool thing is that on their website, they let you mix and match the bars that you want in any combination so everyone gets their favorite. So go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and you'll get $10 off your first order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And John and I are back redrafting the 2015 NBA draft. Carl Towns is off the board. Porzingis is off the board. Devin Booker is off the board. D'Angelo Russell off the board. Montrez Harrell, a little bit of a surprise, off the board at five. You're the Kings at six. Willie Cauley-Stein was the pick. I have a feeling Willie Cauley-Stein is not going to be the pick for you. Who do you have at six? I'm going to take a center for them, but I'm not going to take that center. Uh, I'm going to take, uh, the guy you just discussed, Miles Turner, uh, still only 24 years old, good three point shooter, good shot blocker. Didn't have a great year for the Pacers this year. Uh, but led the league in blocks two years ago and, uh, just a good starting center that I think will have a nice, you know, 10 to 15 year run here in the league as a, as a, as a plus player. Interesting player. Very highly ranked prospect out of high school scouts couldn't get over the fact that he looked like he couldn't run. He had one of the, the strangest I, I, running gates yeah. that you've ever seen. Yeah. And gigantic feet. And just, just, it, it was, uh, it, it was odd. And you did wonder about it. It was the first thing I noticed about him. The first time I saw him, like you could, you couldn't help notice it. And I think it distracted people from the fact that, uh, okay, but can we get back to how he plays basketball? Right, because he actually had a had a good season in Texas. But I think there was concerns about, you know, again, with the running form, was it going to be something that was going to affect injuries? And, and, you know, there was just so many questions about people were obsessed with it, I remember at the time. Mm-hmm. And when the Pacers drafted him, the first thing that they wanted to work on was changing the way that he runs. And yeah. he's improved. Oh, definitely. And I mean, a skilled, a skilled big like that. I mean, it's it's one thing to just have a regular beast ball big uh, slide in the draft, but like a skilled big who was so highly tied out of high school and had a good year in college. Yeah, I mean, he slipped too far in this draft. Clearly. Okay, agree with you on that pick. The Nuggets are on the board. They select Emmanuel Mudiay who I think for some people felt like he fell on draft night. They were surprised that he lasted all the way to seven. Interesting story. He was one of those pioneer players that was going to go to SMU. I was going to play for Larry Brown, had some eligibility issues, ends up going to China. Mm -hmm. And that's becoming more and more a trend for college basketball players. And really, really struggled in Denver. I'm not going to select him. Struggling a little bit here. I think there's another drop-off, in, yeah. in my opinion, of, of who's next on the board. I'm going to go with a guy. He wasn't as good as I thought he was going to be this year, and maybe I shouldn't go with him because maybe now that he's on the the Sixers, I should take that with a bit of – I should take that with a bit of caution – but Josh Richardson. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish we had taken him. Went 40. Out of yeah. Tennessee. Not mm-hmm. totally clear, given his career at Tennessee, why he slipped this far in the draft. Why did you pass on him? He was, he was 22 and he couldn't shoot. Uh, everyone loved the defense, thought he could handle the ball. Uh, just... We were very sensitive. Certainly, we were very sensitive in Memphis about adding another non-shooting perimeter player uh, to our team at that point. Uh, and uh, you know, Miami did a great job, I think, getting his shot to the point where it's 
where it's a weapon where he's 36% career three point shooter, 81 from the line. He's been able to shoot the ball well as a pro. And I think that that was the swing skill for him. And that's made the difference because everyone knew he could defend coming out. And was this a case, you know, it's interesting, like as a three point shooter, his senior year at Tennessee shot 36% from three and he shot 80% from the line. You just, uh, the, the, the eye test on the mechanics was not that convincing. He had a disappointing year for Philadelphia. I think that's fair to say. Uh, his three point shooting drops off. Uh, he shot 30, 32, let's say 33% uh, from three this year yeah. where he's been, you know, the two years before he was shooting 38 and then 36. Is he a good fit in Philadelphia or was this a, it was this a case where he was on the right team and now he's moved to a team that's the wrong team and that's going to expose him a bit as a prospect. Well, I think what exposes him is the fact that he has to be too much of a playmaker and shooter for for Philly because they don't have a lot of that in the half court. So it puts him in kind of the number one role, which I don't think is the right role for him. He's got a career-high usage rate, even though he's having a down year. And I, I think that's part of it, that – that fit with Simmons and Embiid being there is is so weird. The paint's crowded. He's not. He's more of a slasher than a perimeter guy, even though he can shoot okay. Um, so I just think I just think the overall fit there maybe isn't great. Um, there's I mean there's some variance there too. I mean I, you know thirty two point seven from three. I think he's going to do better than that. But don't love the fit on that roster at the offensive end. Okay. The Pistons at eight, Stanley Johnson, another very highly touted prep coming to mm -hmm. Arizona, but definitely some shades of Shabazz Muhammad where his body and his physical strength allowed him to dominate players in a way that just wasn't going to happen in the NBA. Who do you select at eight? Yeah. Well, uh, let me, uh, let me let me get a piston. The Pistons, a guy that I think they'd love to have anyway. Undrafted out of UNLV. You remember this? Him sitting in the uh, in his suit after the draft, all disappointed. Uh, Christian Wood. Christian Wood. I think he was a he was a top ten center in the league this year. He was fantastic. the The night the league shut down, he went fourteen for eighteen against Joel Embiid. Why does he slide completely out of the draft? There was a lot of bad intel about him in that draft and mostly related to his, his work ethic and his competitiveness. And I think for the teams he worked out for, they saw it, that he just didn't have that, that motor or that competitiveness to him. Cer I mean, certainly it happened with us, to be honest. And then there was, um, there was another workout that was public. I think it was at Abunasar's place, um, you know, where Perz the Perzingis worked out where it was kind of the same thing where people thought he just wasn't uh, wasn't a guy who was, who was really locked into yeah. to being a pro and really, because people, when people saw him earlier in the year, they, they were like, this guy might be a first round pick. And then the more people started calling and getting info about him, it was kind of like, yeah, yeah, I don't know here. And he ended up in the, in the wilderness for five years and then completely blows up. This what, season. what happened? Because the intel's so important, you know, this is not a normal story. Yeah, there was clearly basketball talent. I mean, no. let's let's say say that Christian Wood had first round pick talent for sure. Mm -hmm. How did he turn it around? I don't I don't know exactly. Although I mean, clearly there was way more resilience in here than people thought because it took him five years of basically going through 10 days in the G league and whatnot and being cut a couple times, uh, to really find his home. And once he did, he grabbed that opportunity with both hands, uh, to, to his credit. Um, it was interesting because if you interviewed him, everyone, I think the people who interviewed him, no, nobody thought he was a bad kid. There was just a lot of questions about how much he wanted it and whether he would work and, and those types of things. And I, I do think 
for whatever reason, he plays a lot harder than he used to. And then that's been a big change. He's learned something. And now that he has it, he's gripping tightly and it's a great success story. He's bounced around Philadelphia, Charlotte, Milwaukee, Pelicans, G League. But wow, what a season in Detroit. That puts the Hornets on the board at nine. I'm going to give them the guy that they paid a bunch of money for this offseason. <laughs> Terry Rozier. I, you know, Terry Rozier, you know, the part of this is like the Celtics. I mean, you know, Celtics fans, I think for a long time, were like, if you just unleash Terry Rozier, everything is going to be better. And, and clearly frustration with his role in in Boston mm-hmm. and to his credit he goes to Charlotte puts up really big numbers 18 points a game four assists a game four rebounds a game shoots 40% 40 almost 41% from 3 this season it's really good numbers for an NBA point guard he's 25 years old he's good it's it's like he's um if he's your third guard, I think you're super happy. I think if he's a starter for you, you feel okay maybe. Like he's a good shooter. Like you said, he shot 40 from three this year. Not like a super playmaker. Um, you know, d- defensively he's okay. Could probably be a little better. He has He has some – probably some more chops there that than he's shown. But uh, it's funny looking back though because people thought at the time this pick was a little bit of a reach. Like most people had him in the twenties on that draft night, you remember? Yeah, and but he fit he fit a player that Danny Ainge often goes for, right? Which is someone who's tough and gritty. You know, that's that's an athletic. That's a Danny Ainge player. Yeah, yeah, and certainly, like especially his rookie year didn't go so well. But like by his by his third season, you know, he's out playing Eric Bledsoe in the playoffs, uh, which is really important for them. Uh, like they got, they got a nice return from that pick, uh, even though they had to surrender him to get Kemba Walker uh, th- this off season. So I, I think that worked out really well for Boston. Okay, that's the ninth pick of the draft. You have the tenth pick, John. It's the Miami Heat. They selected Justice Winslow. Will that be your pick? Uh, that would be a defensible pick, but that's not who I'm going to take for them. Uh, this guy went 46th in the draft. Uh, after a fairly miserable senior season at UCLA, uh, Norman Powell. Norman Powell. Tell me why Norman Powell is the pick here over guys like Winslow or Kelly Oubre. I, I just think he's established a lot more who he is in the league. I mean, he was a rotation player on a championship team. Came back this year, uh, you know, player efficiency rating of 17 for a wing player, shot 39.8 from three. Uh, certainly his development as a shooter, I think, has, has surprised a lot of people uh, who saw him play at UCLA where he was, you know, really more of a athlete, straight line, rim driver kind of guy. Uh, the athleticism was always there, but I think just the all-around game has really developed a lot in that Toronto system to where he is a good wing player now. And that is one of the, you know, that's the hardest thing to find in the league uh, is, is good two way wing players. He can make a shot. He can create his own shot, kind of checks all the boxes. Uh, you know, I, th- I, and I think he has still a pretty bright future ahead of him. We like a lot of the Raptors picks. Masai Jerry, good drafter. I think finds, finds guys. They've done, yeah. They've done, They've done a good job drafting, and uh, even with the guys who go undrafted, they've done a good and, job. And, you know, one thing I'll say about Pal too, is he, he was patient. I was actually at in Israel for a basketball without borders, and he was one of the NBA players that was there. And just watching him put on the work whenever he wasn't doing his basketball without borders stuff was really, really impressive. A guy that is just continuing to try to work on his game, get better and better. And I think we all know that one of the key attributes if you're going to blow up is to keep working and working, working at your game. And that's, that's what Norm Powell's done. 
Yeah. Yeah. Really, really good player. You could have an argument for him to go higher here. Okay. We'll be back with picks 11 through 14 on the next segment with John Hollinger. You're listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Let me tell you about my secret weapon for learning new things and getting ahead. It's hard to find the time to sit down and read and learn more. When you don't have free time, you can't read or work on personal development. There is an incredible app that solves this problem, and I highly recommend it. It's called Blinkist. Blinkist is really unique, and it works on your phone, your tablet, or your web browser. Blinkist takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can read or listen to. Successful people like business leaders are well-known for reading a lot of books. Blinkist is made for busy people like you, who want to get the main points of a book quickly so you can start using the information right away. And with its audio feature, Blinkist makes it easy to finish a book during your commute or your lunch break or while you exercise. 12 million people are using Blinkist right now, and it has a massive and growing library from self-help, business, health, the history books, Blinkist has the latest titles from bestseller lists, as well as the classic nonfiction titles you always meant to read, but never had the time. I've read The War for Kindness, Building Empathy in a Fractured World by Jamil Zaki, and The Righteous Mind, Why Good People Are Divided by Politics and Religion by Jonathan Haidt, and I highly recommend you check them out. With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for a low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer just for our audience. Go to Blinkist.com NBA, try it for free for seven days, and save 25% on your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com NBA to start your free seven-day trial, and you'll save 25% off but only when you sign up on Blinkist.com slash NBA. It's the Pacers. They're at 11. I am going to select a guy that I really liked in the draft. I continue to hope that the glimmers of of goodness that we've seen from him at times in Miami will continue to pay off and that in Memphis he'll have an he'll continue to have a good career Justice Winslow he was the hardest guy for me to put on this board because we don't know what he is yet it's a, he's in the middle of his second contract and we don't know what he is yet it's crazy it really is i i don't know what he is either but there's something there and I think it's going to be a bit of where he fits and what sort of role he can play. But I really liked him when he had the ball in his hands in Miami. That was probably when I liked him the most as a player. I just think the work ethics there, the athleticism there, there's enough there that I expect Winslow to figure this out and be at this point mm-hmm. with the 11th pick in the draft, a really good player in the NBA for a long time. Maybe not, never an all-star Maybe, you know, maybe he's, you know, the fourth, third, fourth starter on your team. He's 23 years old. Yeah. Yeah, still still really young. You hear great things about him in terms of his work ethic and off the court. So you want to believe in that. You hope the uh, the back situation is okay with him. And, you know, going to Memphis is interesting, though, because the one thing that won't happen is he won't have the ball in his hands. You know, with John Morant there. So that, that, that'll be interesting to see how that dynamic works. Okay, the Utah Jazz selected Trey Lyles at 12. Not the right pick, yep. but turned him into Donovan Mitchell, which was a home run for the Utah Jazz. Yes. Yeah, it, it worked out okay for him. But I'll tell you, there was a guy sitting right there in their hometown. Uh, you talk about Toronto drafting well. Here's another one. Uh, DeLon Wright, who they took with the 20th pick, um, who I think has become a really good uh, two-way, two-position guard 
uh, sneaky playmaker, uh, pesky defender, size enough to play twos, but can play the point on offense. The knock was on his shooting coming out of the draft, but he's he's actually shot the ball okay, 34.5 for his career from three. We had him for 26 games in Memphis at the end of last year. Uh, I wish he would have been able to stay. I I think he's just a really high level. He's either a really high level backup point guard or like a a decent fourth or fifth starter on your team. Uh, Like, I just think he's a good player and, and, I, there are some bigs I could have taken here, but again, I'm kind of biased toward good perimeter players over bigs just because they're harder to find. So I'm going to go DeLon right here. And I definitely think out of Utah, a big question mark was what position does he play and his shooting ability. Though he shot 35 36% from three. And it was it was that low push, too, yeah. that I think people questioned. Yeah. Uh, he kind of understood why he went where he went in the draft. It felt okay at the time but i agree that he's overperformed where he was drafted that gives me the suns at 13 i feel a kansas player coming Uh (laughs) uh-oh kelly Oubre. all right (laughs) man why do you laugh every time i select a kansas player Oh, no, I'm laughing because it's Kelly Oubre because, uh, you know, that's an infamous chapter in Grizzlies history. He was the 15th pick in the draft. Mm-hmm. Averaged 18.7 points per game this year in Phoenix. He can really really score the basketball. Mm-hmm. Six and a half rebounds mm-hmm. a game. Not bad. Yeah. Uh, 1.3 steals a game. Not bad obviously had a reputation coming out of Kansas slides in the draft based off of a lot of that Intel stuff. And you know, how is he, is he going to be coachable? A lot of that stuff starts off very, very slow his first two seasons in Washington, where it looks like maybe this is a bust of a pick for them. And then starts to come on in his third year at, at Washington. And then I think he's been really, really played well for Phoenix in his one and a half or so seasons there. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, he's interesting because even though he's kind of skinny, he's had some of his best moments when they play him as a four, both in Washington and Phoenix. Um, good enough shooter, like not a knockdown guy, but kind of good enough that you're going to pay attention to him. Uh, good one-on-one player at both ends. Um, struggles a little more in kind of the five-on-five elements, like doesn't really see the floor, uh, especially when he puts it on the floor. He's definitely shooting. Uh, defensively kind of the same thing loses awareness and whatnot but he's gotten better at those things as he gets more into his 20s and you you could see I mean he's still 24 he's still on an upward trajectory so you could see him still moving up a couple notches here potentially so one of the criticisms that I've seen some people on Twitter give about our redrafts is that we underestimate scoring right so you selected DeLon Wright, who averaged seven points a game Mm -hmm. for Dallas Mm -hmm. this season over a guy that's 24 years old who averaged almost 19 points a game in the NBA. Are we undervaluing the fact that scoring the basketball is a skill in the league and and matters because we're looking at so many other factors? I just think if you look at the, you know, a lot of the advanced stats that that some of the other things end up mattering more it's it's not just scoring it's scoring in a way that that adds value i mean if you give me a hundred shots i'll score but i won't help anybody win and so i i I think it i think it comes down to more than than just the scoring part of it and you're you're right i mean the score scoring does matter and i don't want to diminish that but i think people if you glom too much on that, you can kind of lose the whole totality of what the player's contribution is at both. And ends. I think this was partly people frustrated with me and you taking Trey young <laughs> at six, when he is clearly a dominant NBA scorer and valuing, yeah. you know, several other players ahead of them because they do other things on the defensive end or there's other things about their game that maybe a Trey Young or someone like Kelly Oubre may lack. I just thought it might be good to address mm-hmm. it 
here of why because this was a yeah. you know a glaring example of a guy that just had 19 points a game in the NBA this season and we selected a guy who averaged seven points a game ahead of him as in and saying he's a backup in the league but you're right if you look yeah. at the advanced stats DeLon Wright just shows better in, in almost mm-hmm. every metric yeah okay the thunder on the board a rare time when we are going to tell Sam Presti yeah Here's how we're going to help him out. We're going to take a guy who was very old coming out of Wyoming and whose medical scared the shit out of people. And despite that, turned out to be a great pick for the Lakers, Larry Nance Jr. Love this pick. Larry Nance is really, even in, in L.A., when he was getting minutes, he was he was helping, helping them. It, was oh, this just yeah. clearly an example of, Okay, injuries, age, playing at Wyoming, maybe people feeling like he was getting a benefit of the doubt doubt because of who his dad was, and he slides mm-hmm. as far as he does because he had a really good career in Wyoming, and there there clearly was some athletic skill and and some of the stuff that we've seen in the NBA was clearly there. Yeah, he's a he's a classic bad geography guy for me, which a bad geography a guy is a guy who plays in the Intermountain West or the Pacific Northwest and not for Arizona or Gonzaga. So scouts are automatically going to see these guys a lot less because it's such a pain in the ass to get to their places to see them. You know, have you been to Laramie, Wyoming to see a game? I've not. Okay. Yeah. I, I went there once. Uh, it's, it's, you, you don't just end up in Laramie. You know what I mean? Like you're not like, Oh, I have a layover in Laramie. I guess I'll go see Larry Nance play. So it inevitably, Everybody ends up seeing these guys less, and I think that hurts them in the draft, but it's also an opportunity for teams um, to get to get these players like Larry Nance or Pascal Siakam out of New Mexico State. Uh, or, you know, there's there's a lot of examples of these guys where where if they they come from places that are that are a little harder to get to, some sometimes they slip through the cracks a little bit and and either teams don't see them or the right guys on the team don't see them. You know, if you're especially the general manager or the, you know, the vice president or whatever, uh, they have a much more limited scouting window and there's, they're just going to try to make it as efficient as possible to see as many players as possible. Usually Laramie, Wyoming doesn't figure into that equation. And that's why, you know, it was really interesting watching again, the last dance with the bulls and Scotty Pippen, and, you know, the extent that some of these general managers had to go find guys like Scottie Pippen in this day and age with so much money spent on scouting, it's it's amazing that, that you can still yeah. fall through the cracks at, at places like that. But it happens. And it's a it's a great point. Absolutely. You know, this wasn't a bad draft, John. Like we we have Frank Kaminsky still not drafted. Rashawn Holmes Rashawn was Holmes. good this year. Like he was. Yeah, good. Rondé, Rondé Hollis Jefferson's yeah. going to be in the league a long time. Bobby Portis mm-hmm. was doing some things before he landed on the Knicks with another eighteen power forwards. Uh, the, you know, there's <laughs> there's guys on this list that we we didn't even talk about. Let's talk about just a couple of players quick that we didn't select. Okafor goes number three in the draft. We didn't select him. What happened? You know, I think. Uh, Again, background is important in finding out what these guys are made of. Uh, certainly, he was he was drafted for the wrong era, and that hurt him too. Uh, but I, I, the, the the background to me is is the bigger story there. He's been in New Orleans the last couple of years. You know, puts up some numbers in limited minutes. You know, when he's on the court, but. Yeah, it just you saw this one coming. Interestingly, it it, it wasn't even at the first of the season where he was having a big year for Duke. It, it just as you got closer to the draft, it just started to become clear mm-hmm. that Okafor was being drafted to, ten years too late. Let's yeah. talk about another guy. We talked about Hazonia a little bit, and I think we probably covered him. Willie Colley Stein goes six. Yeah. You know, there were always questions about him too, how much, you know, how much he was really into basketball. Um, you know, here's the thing, like, it's not like he was a bad player. Like this ended up being a pretty good draft. So it's hard for me to really kill him over that pick. 
they could have just as easily kept him as not as not at the end of last year. He actually had a pretty good fourth season for them, and but just wasn't quite like he's a pretty good rim runner, but not not a rebounder and not quite skilled enough to really uh, make you pay as an offensive player. So I think he probably tops out as a like a plus backup maybe because of that. And I can't speak to him now. But when I was doing my pre-draft tour and going around to gyms and watching mm-hmm. guys work out, he was Mr. Red Flag. Just in, ha- just in the <laughs> attitude that he was taking to the workout, talking back to the trainers with an ESPN reporter standing there on the sidelines filming things. When so many of these prospects, if nothing else, they're going to fake it for two hours. Right with ESPN coming in, and you know I'm, yeah, yeah, like at least I'm gonna, I'm gonna show, put on right? a show, like, yeah. And you could tell mm-hmm. how difficult it was for them to get him going. I mean, obviously the athleticism, the coordination, some of the plays that he made at Kentucky were outstanding in in his ability to move. Best best dunk I've ever seen in person uh, against Florida. His ability to defend multiple positions, full court. Uh, because of his lateral speed. Yeah. I mean, there was, you could see the talent, but this was already coming out of Kentucky. Again, background, background, background on him. The Kings ignored it. And I think that even even in the draft, even though I think you're right, the talent's there and you can still see it on the court. Perhaps, again, I don't know what he's like now, but perhaps the work ethic is an issue. Emmanuel Moutier. Yeah. You know, it's interesting because I felt like he was a little bit of a mock draft guy. Like he, he, he played in the hoop summit and like he was all right. And then he went to China and he wasn't good over there. And you just, you just wonder, I mean, he was big, he was fairly athletic. So there there was always that temptation, but there was never a stretch where he put it together. Really? What do you think about this season? in Utah because I thought I I thought that he was playing an important role for the jazz this year and maybe had come to grips with who he was as a basketball player. He's not a starter. He's not a star, but coming off the bench, maybe he can do something. Uh, I would agree with that. I thought he was good enough to be like a decent backup this year. And if they hadn't traded for Jordan Clarkson, he probably would have stayed in that role. Um, so for him going forward, I think, I think he's shown that he probably has some value at the NBA level still. Um, I think it's been really surprising, uh, on the defensive end that he's been, uh, as unimpactful as he's been, because I think that was one of the things people thought with his size and being athletic and stuff that he could really, you know, be a menace on that end. It just never happened. I dinged Detroit on draft night. It's been one of the tweets that's come back at me a number of times for passing on Justice Winslow to take Stanley Johnson here at eight. Well, I can't Mm -hmm. argue that Justice Winslow has turned into a star or an all-star. He certainly was ended up better than Stanley Johnson. What happened with him? Like you say, I think, uh, first of all, he couldn't shoot and that never really got fixed. And then, uh, you know, definitely like a, a kind of a bully ball guy who developed sooner. Wasn't actually super athletic, though. Actually had some trouble mm-hmm. finishing at the rim, even at Arizona. That kind of gave you a little hint of, of what might be to come for him at the next level. And then I, I think the background on him, too, ended up being really important because uh, you definitely heard stuff there. Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, he, he was so highly touted, but I saw the same thing. I saw him in the Maui, the Maui tournament. And I'm like, there's no pop. There's no real explosion here. This was a guy, and I think kind of like the Shabazz Muhammads of the world, that were just physically able to dominate in high school, and then you can do it less so in college, and then when you get to the NBA, you can't can't do do it it at all. You can't do it at all. Mm -hmm. Trey Lyles? Yeah, I mean, he actually had a decent year in San Antonio this year. Like, I don't know. He's still fairly young, but I – I think the idea people had in their head of him is not what what he really is. Like, he's not this super stretch big hybrid forward. He's 
just more of like an okay backup. Right? An okay backup who who shoots the ball pretty well. Shot shot almost thirty nine percent from three in San Antonio this year. And yeah, there's just not a lot a lot else there. And uh but there were there was a lot of lot of guys that were very high on Trey Lyles and thought he actually slipped a bit on draft night. But it, this was one of those cases where like you said, I think people thought he was being held back in Kentucky and when actually I think kind of he was what he was. Okay, John, thanks for coming back for another redraft. Next week, we will be back redrafting the 2009 NBA draft. Blake Griffin goes one. Hashim Thabit goes two. And an MVP goes three. You've been listening to Chad Ford's NBA Big Board on the Locked On Podcast Network. Aloha. Aloha.